Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. I'm your host, Cora Tarod, and I'm coming to you from the home of Dr. Hannah Haustein, who is an immigrant from South Africa and a retired English teacher who taught at a local college here in the Jezreel Valley. Thank you for joining us today and being part of this interview. Well, thank you, Koro, and I'm glad I can share some experiences with you. Hana, your story begins in South Africa. Can you tell me a little bit about your family background? Where were your parents from? My parents were mostly from Western Europe. I have in my background on my mother's side Huguenot family. My maternal grandfather was a Huguenot. His ancestors came to South Africa and they were really the first people who brought olive trees to the land. And they had a farm down near Cape Town area that was called the Hope, Hatikva. And it's interesting that he was, I think, probably the strong influence in my life. On my maternal grandmother's side, they were all Dutch people, and uh, they were pioneers because they moved up to the Namibia border to become teachers. And on my father's side, I know that my paternal grandmother was German, because she had a, a German surname and my paternal grandfather was Jewish. They were called Hoffman and as far as I could research, their ancestors had lived in Holland and the family that came to South Africa actually came via Java and landed in South Africa where they settled. So that's more or less what I know about the family. You mentioned about your paternal side of your father having Jewish roots. Did you have any Jewish identity growing up or as a child have any connection to that Jewish side of yours? Well, the truth is I had no direct connection with my father's because my parents divorced when I was three years old and so I grew up with my mother's family and that meant that I actually never met my father until I was 24. So I had a connection though with the grandparents who came from time to time to visit but I didn't see my father. I do know that they were keeping some Jewish traditions and it's my maternal grandmother who actually told me, do you know that your father is Jewish? And when she was saying that, it didn't mean anything to me. But thinking back, I noticed that me and my sister were very much integrated 
into the Jewish community in our little town. There was a Jewish community of 20 people, and me and my sister were invited to every feast, <laughs> so we knew about eating matzah and Purim cookies and so on, which I think was probably because the Jewish community realized that we had a Jewish parent. And that, in a way, prepared me maybe for coming to Israel. Hannah, you mentioned that you came from a divorced family, and that's news for me. That's the first time I'm hearing that from you. How, as a child, did that affect your life? Were you able to deal with that divorce of your family? I did always have a sense of being different because I didn't have a father. And in school, they would actually ask us what kind of work our father did for some reason, that was one of the questions when we started the school year. And then I never knew what to say because my mother tried to keep any information away from us. She wanted me and my sister to forget that we ever had a father because she had a great emotional trauma from this divorce. She also wanted me to feel her pain so she would many times speak badly of my father, which was not good for me to hear. But when I became 24, I felt I had to go and find my father and find out who he really was and whether he was as bad as my mom said. So I did hear the other side of the story. And that definitely brought a healing to me so that I was ready at that point to meet my husband. Before that, I felt I would never marry. I didn't want to get married, and I didn't have a good image of men or a husband. It's a long story, but really, finding my father led me to also meet my husband. So I believe it was all a process of bringing me to the point where I could marry and I had a successful and a happy marriage for 40 years. So I believe all that damage, if you could call it that, the emotional damage was really healed. I want to follow up what you just said about your father, 24 years old, and finding him. It was like a quest. Can you describe what you did, how you found him? Because I think that's very powerful. It started really with something that my cousin said to me. We were together at university, and he was the brother I never had. So we were very close, and we would try to help each other 
with all kinds of situations. So my cousin told me that I would never be at peace with myself until I meet my father, which was very profound for somebody who was 19 years old to say, but that somehow stuck with me. And when I went to work close by where my father lived, I had this desire and I asked God if he would let me meet my father, but I was not going to take any steps towards that. And I did write to my grandmother where I was. I was working in a museum as an artist. So my grandmother knew where I was and she probably told my father. And one day, um, a young man in a uniform appeared in front of me and he asked me this question, would you like to meet your father? And I was completely stunned and of course I said yes. So he took me to meet my father. Now he was the son of a lady who was living with my father at that time. And so this is how it really started. After that, I went regularly to visit him over the weekends, but then the family decided that it was really dangerous for me to drive alone at night. So they felt that we needed to find a central place to meet and that was the city where my husband lived. How did you meet your husband through this whole quest for trying to meet your father? It was really at a party that my Hoffman family gave in honor of my father and my um, meeting together or our reconciliation, if you like. And it was because one of my relatives lived in the same apartment building as my husband, whose name is Herman. And she felt when she met me that he and I were very suited. So she insisted that he would come to this party as my uh, partner, a blind date. Before the party, the young man who had taken me to my father decided that he'd fallen in love with me and he wanted very much to have a relationship. But I did not feel that I wanted that. I always cut off relationships with men. So I asked my family how I would get rid of him. And they suggested that I put on the um, engagement ring of my aunt. She was my late aunt. And I could wear the engagement ring and then tell him that I was engaged. So this is exactly what I did. I was flaunting the ring so that he would notice and he would ask what happened. And then, you know, I said I was engaged. And he said, but who are you engaged to? And I had no name except my husband that I was still supposed to meet that evening. So I just gave his name, which was then very prophetic because we met. It was just an immediate click, you 
know, we just immediately matched, you know, we just fit together. I felt very comfortable with him. And two months later, we were married. After our wedding, we moved away. And then I lost contact with my father, except for corresponding, because in South Africa, you know, we were living a thousand kilometers away from each other. So it was not easy to keep up the contact, but I was very grateful that this lady and her son were with my father and they were taking care of him on the farm. Hannah, you're a woman of faith. How did you come to that faith that really has guided you throughout most of your life? Because I grew up with my mother's parents, they were Christian, and so I was taken to church. We didn't have much of a choice. We had to go to church. But I never actually felt that I received anything from church. I didn't really believe anything. It was more of a cultural and social obligation than anything else. So when I went to university at age 18, the first thing I did was to not go to church anymore, but rather party and, you know, do everything that I was not not supposed to do when I was um, living at home with my grandparents. But I always felt, and that was right through my life, I felt an emptiness. I did have a sense of God, but of course I didn't really know how to reach Him, except I saw that He did answer prayer. However, while I was at university, at age 21, I had a spiritual experience. I was not going to church. I had neighboring friends who wanted to go to church every Sunday and they would knock on my door and try to convince me to come. So this particular evening I locked my door, put off the light and acted like I wasn't home. But I felt extremely depressed and sad because I was looking for God but I didn't think I would find him in the church. So I had a vision of Yeshua, of Jesus, and he called me to follow him. And this was a life-changing experience. I literally was a different person the next day. I was not depressed anymore. I never went back to that feeling of emptiness or depression. It's like my whole life lighted up and life became an adventure. (laughs) I can say that. So that's really how I came to faith. Hannah, what was it like in South Africa in the 1950s? And what made you leave that place and come eventually to Israel? Well, I think I was a little bit different from... South African young people because I never felt at home in South Africa. Growing up in South Africa, I felt I was very different from my family. And I remember at the age of 15, I came and announced to my family that I am not South African. 
I am an international citizen, whatever that meant. And I started corresponding through a uh, pen pal program. I started corresponding with people all over the world because I just felt I was not meant to be (laughs) only in South Africa. Yes, so I never ever thought that I would leave South Africa. It never entered my mind. Although I didn't feel at home in the country, it didn't enter my mind to go anywhere else. But after I'd met my husband and he came to faith, as I had in 1971, then we had a call from God to come to Israel. I cannot call it anything else, because I think if I share how this call came, you will understand that it was supernatural. We were at that time in a very lively fellowship. It was called Hatfield Pentecostal Baptist Church in Pretoria, the uh, capital city. And our pastor, who was an amazing person, he challenged the congregation with this question, do you want to know what God's plan is for your life? If you really want to know his plan, and he has a plan, then you should pray and ask him to reveal it. And this really stuck with me and my husband. We really wanted to know God's perfect plan for our lives. At this point, we had no connection with Jewish people, and Israel was never mentioned as a country. In our fellowship, there was no prayer for Israel. If there was prayer for any kind of missionary outreach, it would be to Africa and to African people. So what happened was that in 1971, when I came to faith, the Lord gave me three verses from Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. And in the third verse, it was written to comfort those who mourn in Zion. I had no idea where Zion was or what it was. I'd heard the word in church, but I had no idea that it connected to a physical place. Then in 1978, when my husband came to faith, I had a vision. It was a dream during the time that I slept, but it was a very, very strong and clear vision where I was in a synagogue where I'd never been in my life, and there were Jewish people around me who were praising Yeshua. And I was told that they were all believers in Jesus or Yeshua. This completely blew my mind because I never thought that Jewish people should even believe in Jesus. And to make a long story short, Uh, In 1980, our call started. It started by, like I said, our praying for God's perfect plan for our lives. And my husband started getting all these scriptures about 
coming to Israel, being transplanted to the land. And I started having again two more visions, dream visions, in which I actually was in Israel. I saw places and I was inside Israel, which again confirmed that this was really God's plan that we should leave the country. Now that was a very revolutionary idea and totally unacceptable for our families. Uh, even in the fellowship, in our congregation, people were very skeptical and everybody discouraged us about this. But we, we were very sure. We, we had no doubt whatsoever. The only condition I put to the Lord was that my husband should have work in Israel because we cannot leave the land with three little children without an income waiting for us at least. So we tried to find out about work in Israel through the milking machine company my husband was working for, Alpha Naval, but they had no information. So they referred us to the head office of Alpha Laval in Sweden. We wrote a letter and got no answer, but our letter actually went to Tel Aviv, to the agency there, and after my husband had already bought a ticket to come to Israel <laughs> during a Sukkot, there suddenly arrived a letter, an invitation from Tel Aviv to come for the work interview. So once he received this work, that was the final confirmation for us that we needed to come. So in 1980, on the 18th of December, we left South Africa with our three children, aged five, three, and one. And we arrived in Israel midnight on the last flight in to the airport of Lod, because it was not called Ben-Gurion in those days. And the airport shut down at 12 o'clock. So we were the last people to come in, which probably accounts for the fact that nobody asked us whether we had return tickets. We had come as tourists and our passports were stamped and that was it. We were in. Hana. Thank you so much for sharing with us today a little part of your compelling story. Well, thank you, Koro, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Thank you. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story, when we will hear more of Hannah's experiences in Israel in part two of my interview with Dr. Haustein. See you next time. <laughs>